You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Right, you may have a seat. I believe you can find a seat. Is that right? You can find one. Um, just a reminder: next weekend is our last uh, Sunday for one service. Um, so if you're new here and you're like, I don't know when the fall comes, where we're supposed to sit. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go back to two services in two weeks from now. So one last uh, gathering all together next Sunday, and then back to two services September third. Really thankful for Graham and for Carlos and preaching the word the last two weeks as we continued uh, our study on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this morning, uh, we are, if you're, if you're following along in, from Galatians chapter 5, we're going back to goodness, okay? We went, we went ahead to faithfulness based on the pastor's mistake earlier this summer, okay? And, and now we're going to be talking about goodness this morning. When you think about goodness, how would you define goodness? You know, we think about goodness, uh, the word good, in our society, it's kind of lost uh, its full meaning, right? If, you, if somebody asked you how the meal was and you said it was good, they may not be convinced, right? They, they would want to hear, great, it was amazing, it was awesome. They, if you just say good, it's like, well, it was just okay, and, and, and in our world, that's kind of what we think about when we think about the word good sometimes. But in the Bible, when we read the word of God, the biblical writers, when they were writing uh, about goodness in the New Testament, they came up with a new word for good. And MacArthur says this, goodness was a deep down virtue of moral sweetness, moral excellence, and we can't even find the word in secular Greek sources. It sort of was coined by believers as a way to express a kind of goodness that was deeper than anything the world experienced. And and ultimately, the reason for that is because goodness, as with all the fruit of the Spirit, is a characteristic of God. It is who He is. He is always good. There is never a time when His goodness changes. He is perfectly and altogether good. Always. And this fact should be an anchor for the believer. And this morning, I know that a lot of you are, are, are grounded in good theology. And can I just say that that is so important to your walk with Christ? Uh, sometimes in, in, in Canada, we've kind of put away theology. Like, oh, you know, we just, theology just divides. Let's not talk about those things. I'm telling you, theology is what will keep you grounded. A good understanding of who our God is. And when we go through the trials of this life, we need to understand that he is good. Some of you are like, I I know he's all powerful. I know he knows everything. But sometimes I wonder, is he always good? Those times are those uh, that we just experienced this weekend. When things happen where you, you just... You don't understand. How can this be good? Some of you know yesterday, Aaron Roper, 48 years old, died of cancer. 
How can that be good? In those times when you think about him leaving behind a nine-year-old daughter, you question, how is this good? But if Aaron could speak to us right now, he would tell you, God is good. He is very good, is what he would want you to know. Faith is what is needed when we go through trials. Faith, not in our circumstances, but in the character of God. And this morning, as we study God's word, I want us to see three things that we need to remember. Three things that we'll need to remember about our God. One is that he is always good. God alone is good. That good overcomes evil. And that we are to pursue good works. But before we get into it, I want to pray for us. I want us to ask the Lord to help us as we remember those who are mourning for Aaron and as we think about our time in the Word this morning. So let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. Lord, this morning we are thankful for the hope that all those who are in Christ have in you. That to be absent from the body is to be present with you. Thank you, Lord, that Aaron's hope and faith were in you. Lord, this morning we remember who you are. You are a God who is good in every way. You're a God who knows all. You're a God who is sovereign and a God who loves perfectly. Lord, this morning we pray for your comfort to be given to all who mourn the death of Aaron. We know that you understand our sorrow, for even Jesus wept of the death of his friend Lazarus. We know that one day soon you are coming again and will finally reverse the curse of sin. And then there will be no more death and no more mourning. But until then, thank you, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. Lord, this morning we pray for Aaron's family and ask, Lord, that you would increase their faith and hope in you in these trying times. Lord, now as we look to your word, would you lead us, would you guide us by your spirit? Would you help us to understand that which is truly good? Would you encourage us that good has overcome evil? And would you enable us to see the fruit of goodness in our lives so that the world might know you and praise you? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you don't have a Bible this morning, go ahead and slip up your hand. The ushers will uh, get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, maybe you slipped out and forgot it this morning. We're going to be looking at several different scriptures as we think about goodness. Um, just a heads up, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit different this morning when it comes to remembrance. We're going to be focusing on a communion in the middle of my sermon, Okay. Some of you are going to be thinking, 20 minutes long. This is amazing. What a gift. Okay? We're not done yet. Okay? So just a heads up. That's how we're going to be. But I, I want us to just have that action step in the middle of our service, or middle of the sermon, to help us to remember as communion is intended to do. So three things to remember about God's goodness. First, only God is good. Only God is good. This is a fact that is firmly established in Scripture. Over and over again, we are told that only God is good. We, as a society, as a world, we we do not want to think that. 
We want to think of ourselves as good. We, we are mainly or basically good people. How many times do we hear that? And yet the scriptures tell us a very different message, which is this, only God is good. And so I want us to begin as our study of a scripture by looking at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and as you turn there, I want us to look at verses 18 on. And and what we're going to see there is a young man, a ruler, who has come to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus how it is that he can attain eternal life. What would you tell him? What did Jesus tell him? Well, we see in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus' answer is meant to probe the man's heart. Does he believe that, that only God is good? Or does he have a, a skewed view well, as we look at his life, as he, we look at his answer, we're going to see that he had a skewed view. But I want us to first reflect on the fact that Jesus is saying that God alone is good. It's who he is. He doesn't simply do good deeds. He is good. He is the very definition of the word. There has never been a time where it has not been said of him that he is good. Always, constantly, we, we can depend on the fact that God is, will, is, and was, and will always be good. Menikoff says this, to say God is good is to assert he is without fault, without an ounce of error, without a speck of deceit. God never makes a bad decision, never thinks a spiteful thought, and never leads anyone astray. Positively, to say God is good is to affirm his righteousness, excellence, and worthiness. He is noble, but not like a king who is noble because he happened to be born heir to the throne. No, our sovereign is noble by virtue of his character. When God speaks, it is good. When he acts, it is good. It is the outpouring of who he is. As we studied the book of Genesis this last year, as he created this world that we live in with each day it was affirmed that it was good all that God does is good as you get to the end of the sixth day we're we're told that it was very good this is our God when he acts it is good Psalm 119 verse 68 says this you are good and do good teach me your statutes is that what you believe about the Lord God this morning Do you you believe that in his character that he is good and that he always does good? Do you believe that wholeheartedly, both in the good times and in the hard times? Are you like the psalmist? You're like, Lord, I just want to know your ways. I just want to know your word because I know and I believe that it is good. Are you convinced that it is good always? Psalm 16, verse 2 says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. You go back to the original sin, the, 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 the very lie that Satan tries to tell us, told Adam and Eve, is that God is not good. 
that he is trying to keep something from us. This is the, the very heart of our sin. If we, you know, if, you, if Satan tries to tell you, if you go this way and you follow what God wants, you're going to miss out. You, it will not be good for you. But what the Bible tells us is that he is always good. His commandments are for our good. And as the psalmist said here, apart from him, there is no good. Are we convinced of this again this morning? We must be if we will weather the storms of our lives, if we will weather the trials of our lives. I mean, you just flip on the news. Any trials going on? Right? Uh, The GCC churches in British Columbia, and both of those churches right now, they have families who are, 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 are evacuated from their homes. Some they know of have lost their homes. I mean, it's a time of trial for those churches. And they're coming alongside them. And what they would want people to know is that God is good. Even in these things, God is good. In Pakistan, there, there are churches being burned there. Over 20 churches were burned down this last week in Pakistan as they persecute the believers. And they need to know and they need to hold on to the fact that God is good. God remains good. And nothing that happens should ever call into question his goodness. In a world that is full of evil and unrighteousness, God is still bringing about good. Think of the power of God to do such a thing. His omniscience, he he knows all things. His omnipotence, he is all powerful. And he takes that which Satan would want to use to steal, kill, and destroy, and he brings about good. One of the classic passages in the Bible that reminds us of this is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph, who, who had been slow, sold into slavery by his brothers, he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And Joseph didn't let them off the hook. He, he didn't say, hey, you guys, what you did was a good thing. No, he calls it what it is. They committed evil against him, but God is sovereign and powerful, and he used that what they would, would want to use for evil, and he brought about good and saved many pe- people's lives as a result of that. Foreshadowing, of course, the greatest evil that's ever happened on this earth and bringing about the greatest salvation that's ever happened, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Wright says this, God is generous and trustworthy without any deception or crookedness and he is like that always, through and through like a solid rock in his own character and in all his actions. The goodness of God is axiomatic in the Bible. That means like an axiom in mathematics, it is an affirmed truth that is foundational to all the other deductions and calculations you make. No matter what the circumstances are or appear to be, God is good and God does good. Right now, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you think about what's happening in the world, we need to affirm the truth that God is good and is doing good. To you and I, as we look around the world, it seems like there's an increasing sense of chaos. Does it not feel that way to you? Do you think God feels that way? He is not looking at the world and saying, oh, this is getting out of control. I don't know what to do about this. No, he knows everything about it, and he is bringing about good. Romans 8 reminds us that everything that happens in your life is for your good and for his glory. He is conforming you into the image of Christ. 
This is what a good God does. And one day soon, he is going to return and bring about the end of all evil because he has overcome evil with good. Before we get to that, I, I want to think about the fact that about this, this ruler. He, he thought he was a good person, right? Jesus answers him. First, he says, only God is good. And he's, he's, at that point, he doesn't say, well, you know, well, I'm pretty good. But he kind of does, doesn't he? Because Jesus says, well, here's the commandments. And he lists some commandments. And this guy says, what? I've kept all of those. From my youth, I've kept all of them. Really? 100%? I mean, this guy's blind to his own sin, is he not? But Jesus, in his grace and mercy, he goes right to the heart of the man. His greatest problem was his idolatry. He, he, he loved riches. And so Jesus said, here's what you do. If you want eternal life, go and sell all your possessions. And then you will have riches in heaven. And come follow me. This is what he needed to do. Why did Jesus tell him that's what he needed to do? Because Jesus knew his heart and that he had a, a, a there was a stronghold in his life when it came to idolatry. And when this man, because he was very rich, he was like, I can't do it. And he went away sad. He gave up eternal life with Jesus Christ because of some stuff in his life. This morning, we all need to realize that there is no one who is good here. Some of you might say, well, you haven't even met me yet. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us there, there is no one who does good, not even one. It tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as a result of that, we need to be saved. You know, one of the things that we need to be on guard about as sinful people, people who are not basically good, is, is we need to have a healthy distrust of ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever talked to someone and they're like, well, I, I just, you know, I just believe this is the right thing. Okay, but where are you getting that from? Are you getting that from the scriptures? Well, no, I'm not getting that from the scriptures, but I just really believe that this is the right thing and I'm pretty sure God's good with it. You know, I really feel like this is the right thing. Well, what's, what is that? We're being self-deceived. When you can't line that up with the scriptures, and I know we don't like to say, well, I don't like God's idea, so I'm just going to do my own. So we just kind of say it a different way. I really believe, I think, and then what? Then we walk in sin. And so we must do what Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Don't trust your own mind, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. He who trusts in the word of God will be delivered. So this morning we need to understand and remember that God alone is good and know that if we are ever to do good, that what God would desire of us is to first recognize that we are sinners in need of a savior and to understand that God has overcome evil with good. This is our second thing we need to remember. Good overcomes evil Good overcomes evil. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's look down at verse 17. Romans 12, 17. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
When somebody lashes out at you, when somebody comes against you and commits evil against you, you are not to respond with evil. That's not what Christians do. That's not what followers of Christ do. Later he says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And some of you are like, well, that sounds good, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light him up, basically, if I do good to him. Okay, that sounds like a good vengeance plan, but th- that you don't understand what it's saying then. What it's saying is that you're heaping shame on him. You, you are, you are, you're showing him the shame of his actions against you when you return good for that. And if God be merciful, that person might repent. And find hope in Christ. For it says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what the believer ought to do. And we are able to do it because this is exactly what our Savior did. He overcame evil with good. He left his throne in heaven and he came and lived on this earth and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life full of goodness. I mean, some of you are wondering, well, what, what, what is it to do good works? What, what, what should I be doing? Well, read the Gospels. Read what Jesus did every day on this earth. We see him showing love to the outcasts, the people that the religious establishment had condemned. He healed the sick. He freed those possessed by demons. He fed the hungry. He welcomed the children to come to him. He raised the dead. His teaching pointed the way to eternal life. He welcomed people to come to him for he was gentle and lowly. And and that if they would come to him, they would find rest for their souls. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and their lostness. He confronted those who should have known the truth, those who honored God with their lips, and yet their hearts were far from him. He did that because that which is good, he did. All that he did was good. And I want us to think about the ultimate good that God did. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want us to think about the cross. I want us to think about, as we partake in communion this morning, I want us to understand that what happened at the cross was good. It was the greatest good that could have come. See, Jesus, while being fully God, he was also fully man. And throughout his life, he had to make choices. Would he choose bad or would he choose good? As Jesus began his ministry, he's in the wilderness and Satan says, hey, listen, all you need to do is bow down and follow me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the riches. I'll give you the whole kingdom, all the kingdoms. That's all you have to do. What did Jesus say? Depart from me, Satan. Worship, it says, worship the God, worship your Lord God, your, uh, worship the Lord God only. And so then he left Jesus' close friend, Peter. Jesus is telling him, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And what's Peter say? That will never happen. But, but Peter, not having the mind of God, but actually the mind of Satan, says, hey, that should never happen. And, and Jesus says, it rebukes him, right? He rebukes him, saying, get behind me, Satan. And, 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 and so... Again, we, we, we kind of, we see those things, we're kind of like, well, he's Jesus. But that was another time where 
it would have been easy to say, yeah, you're right. Let's get with a different plan. Why don't I just kind of reign? Why don't I just kind of do my thing? Let's get off the will of the Father and onto my will. That temptation was there throughout Jesus' entire life. And even as he got into this final hours, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, is there a way? Is there a way that we could, do, could, could have this cup pass from me? But then he says what? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus always chose the good. Because of God's goodness, because of his love, because of his favor, Jesus then was beaten. He was whipped. He was mocked. He had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And then he was placed upon the cross. And as he's on the cross, he takes my sin. He takes your sin. He takes the sins of all who would believe on him. And he puts them on himself so that then the wrath of God can be poured out on him for those sins. Suffering in a way that none of us, praise God, I pray, I pray for this in this room, that none of us will ever have to feel. That, that, that suffering, that eternal suffering to be apart from God, that, that wrath that, 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 that is meant for sin was put on him, in G, on Jesus, instead of you and I. He done that, he did that because that's what the plan was. God's plan for you and I. And so this morning, as we think about the cross, as we think about what God has done, how he walked in perfect obedience to the will of the Father, we want to give him praise. We want to understand that that's how, over, how, how evil was overcome, was through his good. And as it was with Joseph, what the world meant for evil God brought about good, our salvation for all who would believe in him. This morning, have you put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, have you been walking, thinking that somehow I'm good enough? You know, I, I'm not sure how this whole thing works, but I think I'm good enough. If that's what you've been believing, I want to just pop that lie right now and say, stop believing in that lie and lay down your sins before him and put your trust in Jesus Christ. He alone can save. He alone can save. As he went to the cross, it, it this incredible thing happened as sin was overcome. It tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And as he did that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. This is why we remember this morning Jesus Christ and his death for us. This is how we have hope. This is how we know we can get through another week because he has died for us. Because of that and because he rose again on the third day, we have life and we have it forevermore. And so if this is your hope this morning, I want you to to go to the Lord and thank him for his goodness towards you. Maybe some of you this morning, you, you're like, I, I, 
if I'm being honest, I have not been thinking that he is good. I've doubted his goodness. And I, I just need to repent of that right now. So I want you to go to the Lord. You talk with him. There's sins in your life that you need to repent of. You do that. And then after you've done that, if you have placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, then you come and you grab the elements and in a moment we'll partake together. But if you have not placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, then do not come forward. This is not for you. It's only for those who have placed their trust in him. Your sins remain on you if you've not placed, in Christ, placed your trust in Christ and your condemnation still remains. But today... You could repent and place your trust in him. And I would just encourage you to do that. So you examine your own heart now. Then you come and you grab a cup. In a moment, we'll partake together.
Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he said this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
God, we do thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we remember that this morning. We celebrate that this morning. Lord, we also remember that you were also the Lion of Judah who will return one day conquering all who are opposed to you. On that day, there will be a final end to all evil, to all sin, to all death. God, we cannot wait for that day, Lord, when you will finally see your kingdom come, your will being done fully on this earth. Lord, help us to live each day in anticipation of that day. And Lord, would you help us to pursue good, Lord, as you have overcome evil with good. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue this morning, I want us to, to focus on that. We need to pursue good works. As we think about the fact that that's what Christ did, he lived a life full of God, good works, we, we kind of find ourselves typically in Christianity, it seems like in one ditch or another, right? It's either all about the good works, right? I, I have to do all these good works if I'm going to get into heaven, or on the other side, it's like, well, no, that's not how it works. We don't have to do good works to get into heaven, so I guess I don't do any good works, right? It, it seems like one or the other, and, and, and neither is the true gospel. As we look at God's word, we, we see that God saves us not because of our works, but when we are saved, we do good works. Uh, this is how it works. And, and I want us just to be thinking about the fact that even as believers, even those who, who have a good theology, it is very easy for you and I to slip in to just doing good works. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when you, kinda, when you first come to know Christ, you just can't wait to get to know him more. You, you, you pursue him and, and you're in his word and you're in prayer. And then something can happen in your life where it's just kind of like that kind of goes away and you kind of now just how, you know how to do churchianity. You know what I'm talking about? I know the good thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah, okay, I'm going to show up at church, check mark, and I'm going to go to small group. I'll even help people move, okay? And I got all these good works going on. God must be happy with me. He must, must be really pleased with how I'm doing. But that's not how it works. Everything needs to be the overflow of your relationship with him. And as we understand it, goodness comes from the spirit of God from the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives, not vice versa. A lot of times we want to work our Christianity outside in. It doesn't work that way. It goes from inside out. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It comes out of our relationship with him. And I want us just to focus on that because we, we need to be warned by what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all these good things? And Jesus will say, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. It's all about our relationship with him, being children of God, understanding that what God has done for us. And so I want us to, to think about a few things here as we pursue good works. First, it is important to, be, to know that believers were created for them. Believers were created for good works. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. This is a really well-known passage if you've been in the church for any length of time. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Does God save you because of your works? No, clearly it says here, that's not how it works. It's not through your works that you are saved, but it is by the grace of God in your life. This is how you are saved. As you place your faith and trust in him. But he continues on. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. The, the, the idea here is that you've been created anew. You've been born again. God has made you his child. You were once an enemy of his. Now he has re, re, given you a new heart and a new mind. And as a result of that, you are to do good works. You are to walk in them. Things that God prepared beforehand. In other words, the expectation is you will do good works If you are a believer, the reformers used to say, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. If you you have no good works coming out of your life, you have no empathy for those around you, no love for those around you, you have to wonder whether you are truly in Christ, whether you have truly been born again. Romans 15, 14 says this, Paul, speaking to the Romans, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The believer is able to do acts of good, not because of themselves, but because they have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and they now have the spirit of God living in them. They, they now have been made new creations, and as believers grow in their love and knowledge of, of God, they are filled with his goodness and now are able to do good out of the overflow of God's goodness in them. Menikoff says this, we aren't just to do good works. Our spiritual veins are to flow with the sweet syrup of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is not a mountain to be climbed. It is a gift to be received. And so we do good acts because he who has changed us and made us anew, he he lives within us and he is good. And so then we do good acts through him. When When we walk by the spirit, the goodness of God is evident in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions. We care for one another. We help those in need. We share the gospel we're willing to have our plans inconvenienced. Think about the, 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 um, the good Samaritan. They used the Samaritan, why? Because they were kind of the outcasts. That's what Jesus, he kind of got their attention with that. He's the guy who allows his plans to be changed when he sees somebody in trouble on the side of the road. Everybody else is like, I, I'm too busy doing God's work, doing what God would have me to do. I don't have time to help this guy. But the person who is full of the Spirit of God, the person who is walking by the Spirit, sees the need in front of them and responds accordingly, even when that inconveniences their plans. He does not do so to earn favor with God, 
but because he or she is already favored by God. We have become new creations in Christ to do good works. Because we have been created to do good works, believers will devote to them. Believers will devote to them. This should be our pathway of life. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. We're going to look at verses 4 to 8. And again, we're reminded of some of the same things we've seen in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Did you catch that? It's like, like the Bible kind of knows our hearts, you know, like God knows our hearts. <laughs> hey, just by the way, he didn't save you because you were good, right? He didn't save you because of your good works. But instead, according to his own mercy, because of his goodness, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Note again, this is the overflow of your identity in Christ. You can't have verse 8 if you don't have verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7 beforehand, right? It's the overflow of of your walk with Christ. But as such, we are to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Does that describe your life right now? As you wake up each morning, you're like, okay, Lord. I'm devoted to good works. I'm devoted to you. I want your goodness to overflow in my life to everyone around me. Wherever I go, whatever I do, God, I want your goodness to be seen in me. We're to live lives devoted to good works. It doesn't happen by accident. We must be careful. We must be strategic to do it. We must prioritize things in our life in such a way that we are devoted to these things. Hebert Hebert says this, the gospel message of free forgiveness for sinners on the sole basis of faith must find expression in a life characterized as taking a lead in the performance of excellent deeds. The practice of good works is the logical outcome of a true apprehension of the grace of God. In other words, it's an overflow of your understanding of the gospel. When you understand the goodness of God to save you, the unnatural, the, the, the thing that ought to happen then is that you do good works from the overflow of the Spirit of God in your life. So, just to remind us, how should that start? Okay, God, here's all the good works I'm going to do for you today. I got on my list. I got 10 things I'm going to do. It's going to be a great day. Should it start that way? Or should it start instead on my knees, worshiping the Father, reading his word, soaking in his truth, falling more and more in in love with him as I grow in my knowledge of him, and then saying, now, God, use me to do good works for you. That's what we see in the scriptures over and over again. What, what, those, what do those good works look like? Oh, by the way, is there a model of this anywhere in the scripture? Yeah, this is what Jesus did, right? We see him at night praying. We see him in the morning 
praying, seeking the Father. What, what should we do today, Father? Right? And he walked perfectly in accordance to the will of the Father. This is what he calls you and I to do. So what then should those good works look like? Is everything like grandiose? Is that, is that what it looks like? Is it like these big major sacrifices on a day-to-day basis? Well, we see in 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, when it, 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 Paul was talking about, here's the, the women that you may want to consider for special ministry in the church. He says this in verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. Having a reputation for good works. What does he then list after that? If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. A lot of the good works you will do every day are everyday activities. What is she, what were some of the good works that he listed here? Raising a kid, raising children. That's a good work. In a world that is so messed up, that is such an important task for moms and dads, is to raise their children. That is a good work that you are to be a part of every day. She showed hospitality, having people into your homes, helping those in need. These are the good works. Washing the feet of the saints. That's definitely not a glamorous thing. It's like a need that was there, and so she did it. Caring for the afflicted and being devoted to every good work. As you go off to the workplace, are you devoted to every good work? Think about Daniel. Daniel worked a secular job, right? He was in politics. From his earliest days to the end of his days, we see he was a man who always did that which was good. And he was so good in his workplace, they couldn't find anything to trip him up on. So they tried to get his religion to be the thing. Well, he, you know, he's devoted to his God. So if we tell him he has to worship this guy instead, surely that will be his downfall. Well, kind of. He did continue to worship his God because he always did that which was good. But then God saved him. Right? In the lion's den. And uh, if there's any kids in here, they know that story. So be devoted to that which is good each and every day. Be a good employee. Be a uh, good student. Because we've been created to do works, thirdly, I want us to see believers will remain in them. Believers will remain in them. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. Anybody ever here get tired? Anybody? I see one hand. Okay. We can get weary. We can get tired, right? And, and there can be this mentality as believers, I've done my time, right? I served. You know, when I was in my 20s, oh man, I was like doing like 20 hours a week serving. Like it was amazing. 30s, you know, we got kids. It went down to 10 40s went down to five, you know, and after 50, I'm just like, I'm always just tired. So let the new generation come along, you know, time for me to take care of me. You know, that's, that's how it should be. If that's your mentality, I want you to know that's not from the Bible. That is a worldly mentality. Retirement is not in the Bible. 
right? Now, I'm not saying retirement from your work, okay? You figure that out. But retirement from serving the Lord, there is no such thing. And so Paul recognizes that as he's writing to the Galatians. He says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and from the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I want to just warn us that, that if you're kind of in that mentality, I just need to take care of me. I just need some me time. I just focus on me, 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 me. That leads to corruption. That's what this verse is telling us. When you, when you lead to live a life for you, it leads to corruption, which is decay. It's not good. Okay. I, I want us to understand that. But when we walk by the spirit, it reaps eternal life. It brings not just eternal life, but life itself. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, both in the world to come, but now as well. If you want to live your life to the maximum, live it for him. Then he says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. I love how personal the Bible is. God recognizes we can get tired. He recognizes the, the temptation for you and I to give up, to, to kind of just, you know, throw in the towel. And he's like, don't, just keep going. Don't, don't, don't grow weary of doing good because you will reap in due season. You, you, you will see fruit as a result of what you've done. And one day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what we should all be striving for as God's servants so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want us to note two things. One, there's a limited time. As we have opportunity, we only have so many days on this earth. We do not know how many days we have. Only the Lord God does. And when those days are done, your time, your opportunity is over. And so let us live with urgency when it comes to doing good. And then secondly, we are to do good to everyone. You don't get to pick and choose who you do good to as judges with evil motives. Instead, you are to do good to everyone. But then note, especially to the household of faith. So the priority is everyone here who is part of the body of Christ ought to be loved on and cared for in a specific, special way that sets us apart from the world. And then we move out from here, right? We don't neglect our family to go out. We take care of the family and then we go out. This is what the scripture is telling us here. So if you're growing weary, keep going. Keep striving. Do not quit. Look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12, who endured. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11, and all the saints who endured, keep going, keep running, keep going after the work that God has for you. And then lastly, I want us to see this. One of the primary joys of seeing the fruit of goodness manifested in our lives is that believers will witness by them. Believers will witness by them. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we close this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says in verse 13, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, uh, under people's feet. The right says this, that kind of life will, will be like salt, says Jesus. Salt was used to stop meat or fish from going rotten. Salt con- counteracted the natural process of decay and corruption. So Jesus implies that in a world that is rotten and corrupt through sin, his disciples should be people who stand against that by the way they live and speak. We are to be different, as distinctive as salt is from rottenness. It's so easy to do the wrong thing, right? You don't, it doesn't take any effort to do the wrong thing. You just need to go along with what everybody wants you to do. When the world says jump, you just jump, right? The hard thing is to do the right thing. But in doing the right thing, you preserve, you bring life. And it's so sad to see so many churches compromising on the word of God in, in the name of love. All you're doing is becoming part of the rottenness. We've been getting a lot of peaches, right, this summer, and and doing some fruit runs. And you get one bad peach, and you get the other peach right near it. What happens? They both go rotten. As believers, we need to be set apart. We, We need to be salt, as the scriptures say here, so that the world might be saved, so that the world might be saved from their corruption. He continues on, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. When Jesus talks here about light, he's speaking about lives, not just words. He is calling for lives that are are attractive by being filled with goodness, mercy, love, compassion, and justice. The word translated good is uh, kalos, which also means beautiful, not just morally upright. That kind of practical goodness will draw people to Christ and ultimately to know and glorify God the Father. And so he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you and I live the lives that God has intended for us, when we have the Spirit empowering us to do the good we ought to do, then people glorify God the Father. And I'm telling you, there has never been more temptation for the church to join in the spewing of hate and evil. And and just, just go on social media for like three seconds. It is just a cesspool, right? And you and I can get drawn into that. Yeah, yeah, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we start bantering with the whole thing. Instead, we need to be set apart from that, walking in the goodness of God and presenting the gospel to everyone that we meet. Let us be set apart. Let us bring, do such works that bring glory and, and glory to the God, or sorry, glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do we do that? One last reminder, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And now listen, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. How am I doing it? Not through my strength, not through my flesh, but through his power that works within me. So as we leave here this morning, let us be devoted to good works. Begins by getting down on our, to, on our knees, praying to our Father, 
growing in our love and knowledge of him, and then going out and asking that God would use us, that God's goodness would be seen in us as we serve the needs around us. Amen? And as such, it will bring glory to our God. That's the goal. That's why we pursue good works, because it makes much of him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. Lord, we are thankful that only you are good. And because you are good, you have overcome evil. And Lord, you call us now to pursue good works. What a, what a privilege it is, Lord, to represent you to this lost and dying world. What a privilege it is to, to do good works, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and who you've made us to be through the gospel. And so this morning, God, I pray, would you cement these truths into our hearts and minds? Lord, would you help us to to go from this place resolved to walk by the power of your spirit? And as we do so, Lord, would your goodness be seen in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. Lord, so the world might be drawn to you, our great God, And may you save many, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.